Welcome to the Finding Refuge podcast. My name is Michelle Cassandra Johnson, and I am so glad you're here. This podcast emerged from work based in the exploration of collective grief and liberation. It exists to remind us about all the ways we can find refuge during unsettling and uncertain times. Today's interview is with Tan Hubbard. I met Tan online almost two years ago, and since then, Tan has been in many spaces I've facilitated, and Tan is also part of my Skill in Action mentorship program and soon will be a Skill in Action facilitator. I'm excited for you to listen to this interview. Tan is honest and is curious and is serious about transformative work. Tan is a caregiver, solo parent, movement instructor, yoga student, and aspiring activist. While the physical practice of yoga is what drew them to the mat, it was the calling of something deeper that led to the decision to complete a yoga teacher training. The introduction of the eight-limb path during training was the starting point of their curiosity of the intersection of yoga and social justice. Forever a student of the practice, Tan is always eagerly seeking out spaces where crucial conversations around accessible wellness and movement are being held. This includes completing workshops and programs for yoga for 12-step recovery, accessible yoga and skill in action. Their deep practice of self-study is heavily inspired and influenced by other community members and teachers, and in the ways that they bravely show up and share their stories. The current question on Tan's mind is, how can I acknowledge, heal all the trauma and dysfunction that I have inherited and in turn transform my lineage? Another question that is present for Tan right now is, how do I alleviate my own suffering so the ones who come after me don't take that on as well? And lastly, given my current situation and social location, what is my role? We explore many of these things during our interview, and I hope you enjoy listening to it. Okay, welcome, Tan. It's good to see you, and I'm really happy that you agreed to be a guest on the Finding Refuge podcast. Thank you. Thank you, Michelle. Happy to be here. Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I don't know if this is how we met, but I remember teaching on Core to Core an online platform for those listening um, that I started teaching on right after the pandemic began. And I was teaching like a, I don't know, flow class, something like that. And I remember you coming to one of those classes online. And that's when I first remember meeting you, but we could have met before that. But then we, I like saw you in a lot of different spaces after that. So if you have a better recollection of how we met that you want to share, you can. That's the first time I remember seeing you and like talking to you. Actually, I believe you held um, a weekend skill in action immersion online. Um, And I think that was the first time back in like April of 2020. It was or maybe it was like the beginning of April, like mid, like beginning of mid April. Mm -hmm. And then I started coming to your classes on Porticore, I believe. I'm positive like that was it. But prior to that, I had just um, I started attended the workshop 
because of I had I kept hearing your name at um at Jeevana Heyman's last in-person accessible yoga training at Sacred Chill West. And I swear I ordered your book. Your name kept coming up in that that weekend. And I was like, okay, obviously I need to order this book. And then I ordered Skill in Action and then I read it and I was like, okay, I think I need to take a workshop and took the workshop and then started attending your classes. And then that's kind of like how we've been in space like numerous times since then. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I remember you attending the immersion, but couldn't remember which happened first. So that makes sense. The skill and action immersion and then coming to classes. And now you're in the skill and action mentorship program, getting ready to be a skill and action facilitator if you choose. So that's pretty exciting. It's definitely, I feel like everything's coming like full circle. Like, yes, mm-hmm, it is. I would love for you to share some about who you are, whatever you want to say and what you do and how you practice anything you want to share, man. Um, what a loaded question because I ask myself all the time, like, what am I doing? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, well, I guess first and foremost, um, I am a solo parent of, uh, two little, uh, monsters, two little humans who are six and eight. I am a full-time caregiver of a disabled parent, um, my mother. Um, I am a yoga teacher, I guess. There's still a question mark behind that or movement instructor. Currently, I am on staff for um, Accessible Yoga Association as their social media manager, but also that's a, a fluctuating role. So my role has yet to be defined there, but I'm glad to be in space with Jivana and Garrett and some other people that I think you have shared space with before as well. And honestly, I'm still trying to figure out what it is that I want to, am I a space holder? Like, what am I doing? That's still like the, I think the question, like, I'm not really sure. Like, I feel like I hold so many things and do so many things, but there isn't like one thing in particular that I'm doing. Like, I think right now I'm just trying to like survive, like (laughs) life as a human, like before anything. And that's probably where I am right now. I wish I could like articulate that better, but that's like, that feels resonant for sure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think many of us are trying to survive in different ways, but survive this time we're in. And when I say that, what I mean right now is like, you know, almost two years of pandemic and everything that has gone along with that and happened. And that's what I mean when I say this time. So I think a lot of people are trying to figure out how do we make it through this? How do we move through this? Knowing there are different um, experiences of that based on people's identities, right? And and survival will look different um, based on people's proximity to power. So I I hear that, and I'm curious based on your answer to know what at this moment in time feels like it's sort of alive for you, or or feels exciting, or something you're curious about, and either the work you're doing or life, right? As you move through trying to be a human and survive, I'm just curious about what feels most alive. Um, what feels most alive? Wow. Um, I would have to say um, my work with Accessible Yoga Association and my work is it like my role as a parent. Um, I guess those two things are kind of like competing ones because I'm still trying to figure out what it is that I want to do. But I fell in love with um, Jeevana's like nonprofit when I met him in person last year. And I, I knew then over that weekend, I was like, I'm going to work for these people one day. I want to be involved. And here I am. And so like, I've only been working for them for about five or six weeks now. 
So um, growing into the role, whatever that may be, is is really exciting because I, I'm I really love what they're doing in the world. You know, trying to bring the practice to everyone, everywhere, and how they're doing that and that work. And it's nice to be a part of that. Um, just because for me, um, yoga hasn't always, even though I've like been in yoga spaces and I've taught and been in studios, it hasn't always like felt wholly accessible, if that makes sense. Like I'm here and I'm practicing and I'm teaching, but there were still certain parts of it as far as me as a teacher and a student that didn't feel accessible. And also like me, like trying to balance my work, like a working human, like with my parenting, like that feels most alive, which is an interesting thing. Um, trying to balance my work as a caregiver and a parent and like work and like keep everyone alive <laughs> because it's a lot of responsibility. Mm -hmm. um, so I guess all of those things, I wish it's not just one thing, I guess, because they're all like interconnected and none of none of those things like exist in a vacuum. So trying to hold and balance and all of those things and also just keep myself from like falling apart in the process. Yeah. I, and listening to you, I'm thinking about your role as a caregiver and what you said about all of the different things that feel alive and how they're interconnected and interrelated. And when I met you, I'm, I don't know if you were, I mean, you were parenting, which is caregiving. I'm not, I don't know if you were caregiving in the same way for your mom. I don't think so when I first met you. And I know that's been a big part of what has come up in spaces we've been in, right? As even just sometimes hearing your mom call you or see your mom, or you saying, I have to go and do this, right? Saying that in a space, which I actually really appreciate because it's like you're responding to what is happening. And that's a big part of your, your life. And I'm, I'm wondering if, um, and it feels linked to like accessibility as well and the practice and in, in so many ways and just listening to you. And I'm wondering how that's feeling for you to be a caregiver, because I, I know it's a big role and a lot. Oh, yes. It's, I mean, to say that it's exhausting, I think would be overwhelming is an understatement. Um, just my role as a caregiver slash parent was a lot, especially as a solo parent. It's not easy, especially with just my upbringing and trying to disrupt and uncondition myself from what I've been taught that parenting was. And I haven't always cared for my mother in like the way that I am now. I was a solo parent like during the pandemic. Um, but in August of last year is when my mom uh, had, she survived an aneurysm rupture. So this happened in the middle of a pandemic in the middle of all this uncertainty and mess that was happening. And that, oh man, that was an interesting like time because she was in the hospital, like she was in a coma and in the hospital and then a nursing home for four straight months with virtually no contact with her family, with us. We had no idea what was going on. We couldn't visit, we couldn't see. And so just trying to navigate the healthcare system and figure out how to care for her and know that I was stepping into this role as a caregiver. Like it was a, it was a lot to take on. Um, it was a lot. And I'm still here. We are a year and some change later. And I'm still trying to figure out, like figure it all out um, because there's so many like barriers and there's so I feel like the resources are sometimes inaccessible of what we really need. And sometimes I don't know what it is that I need and what mm -hmm. we need um, to make it through the day sometimes. And 
here we are a year later, and I think we're up to like 12 doctors. So trying to manage my mom's medications and her doctor's appointments and work full and work and take care of my kids and take care of myself. It's it's a lot. Like I don't I know people have been doing this a long time and it's just like, how are you all functioning? Mm-hmm. It's a it's a it's a lot. That's really the gist of it. Like it's a lot to navigate and it's a lot to take on. And oh man. Yeah. And I, I don't know that people, I haven't been in that position where I've been caregiving where, well, I'm not a parent, so there's that, but also where a family member has had to live with me and I've had to caretake, right. Or every day be the caretaker. You know, my mom was sick and I was managing care and trying to make sure the healthcare professionals we're not killing my mother and like actually caring for her, all of that. And that felt immense. And so I, I just can't imagine um, this other layer of like, you are the primary caregiver, right? Which is different than my experience of managing care and also like watching what was happening to my mother. Um, so I, I hear, I mean, I can sense and feel that it's a lot. And what you said about how do people do it? Like, how are they existing and how do they take care of themselves? And I'm curious to know how you're doing that. Like how amid all of this, how are you, if you are finding time to take care of yourself, how, what does that look like? Um, well, there are like, this is a 24 hour job. Like parenting alone is like a 24 hour, even if you're partnered and I'm a solo parent. So when I say solo parent, I mean, in that I get bare minimum financial help from their other parent and they're with me at least 345 days out of the year. So there's no reprieve. And then the 20 days that they may go to their other parent, like, and that's spread out over a year, right? So I may get two days here, a week there. Um, also, I still have my mom here. Um, I, ha- I do have family here. Um, we did, me and my sister reco- relocated from Nashville to Memphis, which um, I don't know if you recall last year, but we had to raise money to be able to do that mm-hmm. because we're in three separate households. Um, unfortunately, my mom lived on a second floor apartment and there was no way after her aneurysm, she could walk up the stairs and then relocating her to Nashville where I was, I lived in a two bedroom apartment. So that would have also required a financial in the middle of a pandemic. So nobody's working, you know, right. and my sister also lived in a studio apartment. So there was just no way to, um, condense our households. Like the, the, we met, we were supposed to all be living together, but no one like securing housing in the middle of a pandemic when no one is working was impossible. So, you know, maybe I'll get in trouble for this later. So we had to fudge a few things just for me to be able to like live with my mother. Um, but it's how am I taking care of myself? That was the question. Some days I feel like I don't, I'm not like there's some days where I'm barely managing to brush my teeth and roll out of bed. Some days, like my anxiety and my depression, like get the best of me. And I'm just looking like in a pile of mess. Like my house isn't clean. My dishes are piled up. Like there are no clean forks and spoons in the house. And managing three other personalities who don't want to eat the same things or who want different things or in all of their own moods. And it's a, it's a lot. Like there are some days I really just want to curl up into a ball and cry or just sleep all day. And on top of that, it's also December and I'm really affected by like seasonal affective disorder. Like I'm a summer baby. So December and January are really hard for me. Like even before the pandemic, just like taking care of my children, January and December are usually like not good days, like good months for me. Like it's hard for me to get out of the bed. 
So all of this is happening, plus the stress of like managing a household and all of these things under one roof. I mean, I'll be honest, there are some days where I just, I know I haven't been taking care of myself or haven't been drinking enough water or resting adequately because if one kid gets sick, then the other kid gets sick and my mom gets sick, then I'm all, they were all sick. And with, you know, a pandemic, like we have to be quarantined. So I'm having to manage the household while everybody's sick, while I'm sick myself. Like I might be like the second or third person to get sick in the household of four, but I'm the last one to get better. You know, that Mm -hmm. makes sense. So it's... I'll, I'll be honest, some days I'm not like, I'm not taking very good care of myself. And I, all I can really do is like make it through the day or the next hour. So mm-hmm. it, every day is different. Every week is different. One thing out of many I appreciate about you is your honesty around and about what you're experiencing and where you are. And I mean, I've seen you not that I would expect anything else, but there's just a deep authenticity that you show up with and you've shown up with in every space I've been in with you. Like, this is where I am. This is how I'm feeling right now. And what you just did, like some days I'm not taking care of myself. Right. And this is hard. And um, I appreciate that about you because there's, I, I think there's so much power in like stating exactly where one is. <laughs> and instead of pretending or trying to make it sound better or when it's just like, this is how it feels. Right. And I really appreciate that about you. And, and before you went into that question, I was response. I was wondering about where this authenticity comes from. You show up in my experience unapologetically as yourself and sometimes that's like, here's, here are my identities and this is my reality. And sometimes it's specific to caregiving and, or raising children, right. And little beings in this world. And there's something so potent about your truth. And I'm curious to know, have you always been this expressive or authentic and sharing exactly where you are and what's going on with you? Absolutely not. (laughs) Um, I grew up in the in the biblical South, you know, where children are meant to be seen and not heard. Like you're appreciative of what you have, like with no pushback. Like we don't care how you're feeling. Like be quiet and take it. And that all that carried over into like my my adolescence and like my preteen years as well. I've talked in spaces with you, like kind of, of like my relationship with my mother and like my childhood. Um, that kind of. I wasn't ever allowed, not always. I wasn't ever allowed. And I still see that in my family to like express myself. Like you're a child, you have a, a roof over your head, you have food on the table. You you don't get to have bad days. Like, what are you depressed about? What are you sad about? Like, mm-hmm. and so I haven't always been in that. And I was, I found myself in relationships where I also was not able to express how I was feeling in the moment because I was always protecting other people's feelings or not want other people to be upset because I was upset or I wasn't happy. And I don't know, to be honest, when that changed. I don't, I'm not a hundred percent sure. Um, it's happened sometime when I was, I'm pretty sure after like the, during the pregnancy of my second, my second child, I think I was, I have been, I've been a caregiver since I was like five or six. I'm the oldest of three. Um, I raised my sister, I raised my brother who's 11 years younger than me, who called me mom at like 11 and 12. That's a whole nother story that probably belongs mm-hmm. in therapy. Um, 
but I've been a caregiver for a long time and I ended up being the primary caregiver, the primary partner and parent when my kids were born. And I think when I was pregnant with my, I was carrying my second child and I decided that I told my doctor, like, I'm not doing this anymore. Like, this is it. I'm not caring for any more humans. Unfortunately, I was in like a relationship with a narcissist and a codependent. So I'm a recovering codependent. And I realized I didn't want to care give in a way that was unsustainable anymore. Like I felt like I was protect. I was always caring for other people. And when I would speak up about the power dynamics of the relationship I was in, I got a lot of pushback. And then when I decided that I wasn't doing this anymore, um, I had a discussion uh, with my partner at the time, my kid's father, um, that I, was, I don't have any more kids. I was like, okay, well, I've done all of this work. I'm, I'm managing a household. I wasn't working. I was a full-time caregiver for them while he worked. Um, I think that we're not having any more children. I'm not carrying any more children. I've labored. I've birthed. I need you to, if we're going to be, like, we had been together six or seven years at this point, And I felt like we were going to be together for a while. Like, I need you to get a vasectomy. I know this is probably a personal story. Like, if we're going to do this, like, long haul, I need you to get a vasectomy. I'm not getting my tubes tied. And I don't think family planning should be just on me. And there was a discussion about, like, well, I'm not doing that. You should get your tubes tied. And there was a discussion, like, hey, well, it's a lot more dangerous for me to get put under the knife and get my tubes tied. I don't want to take a pill the rest of my life. I don't want any more children. We've agreed that we're not having any more children. And it was just, I think that was the moment when, when he told me no, that he wasn't going to like meet me halfway on our family planning. Like that's probably like where this started mm-hmm. now that I think back on it. And then sometime during my pregnancy, um, after I had my second child, I took a YTT, which is another harmful story, which I'll hopefully be able to get into a later time. But after my YTT, um, I started taking yoga and social justice workshops. And then language started coming up around oppression and racism. And I started questioning the power dynamics of the relationship I was in. And I think that's where I was. I started to like speak up about like what the things that were affecting me in real time. Mm-hmm. And I think it's been like an uphill like thing since then. I've been more vocal and I've just I've, I've been better about it. Like I was in spaces where people were like very vocal and naming about how their relationships and what was happening in the world were affecting them in real time. And I was like, well, why can I do that? I do that. Like I saw how, like how powerful that was. And also like how painful that was like, because I've been conditioned to not say, you know, not say things that may make other people feel bad or that makes sense. And Mm -hmm. I don't know, like all of that, like kind of happened. But I I don't think I can pinpoint the exact like time that that happened, but I feel like there was like, lots of things that happened that led up to me saying like this is how I'm feeling in this moment and this is how is it affecting me and you know you're either gonna take it or you're gonna leave it and there's still times that I don't speak up because I'm still learning to do that or maybe I'm just learning to like maybe you should like not speak so much but it just feels like in a way that I'm taking back a lot of power that was taken from me as a child as a teenager and in like a relationship that wasn't that wasn't allowing me to grow that, that was a lot of words, but yeah, <laughs> that's what I always say. I just said a lot of words. Um, and I appreciate you sharing about just your thoughts and experience of this and, and, you know, finding your voice and, and using it in the way that I witness you use it all the time. And I do want to acknowledge that there's a, um, a cost to that, um, mm-hmm. Because the way, and I'm not always with you, but the settings I've been in with you, 
often there's a learning that happens for others because of your realness in the space and what you surface at the time. And people are appreciative of that. And also it took something out of you from you to surface that truth. This is my perception, just what I've witnessed. And so I want to acknowledge that it's not, I mean, I think it is important for us to speak when we can to speak the truth and to like name that in a space. And it's, um, there's still a cost, right? There's still pain associated with it, which you name there's, you're like giving something right. And so I just want to honor that and acknowledge that I see that as well. And in spaces as, as you're sharing your truth, both things like the learning and the appreciation of that and, and what that does to you as well. I heard you reference the yoga teacher training. So I want to ask about that in just a moment, but I also want to ask about earlier asked about how you are taking care of yourself, given everything. And I would imagine that there um, is some grief connected with how things are now and maybe what you imagined when you thought about how things would be at this point, maybe they're exactly as they are and maybe not. I'm thinking about caregiving your, your mom and that responsibility. And there may be other examples of this, but just wondering if you're feeling some of that grief around, Oh, this is how I thought life would be, or this is what I want life to be. And it's this right now, right? Instead it's this, however it is. I'm not saying your life is bad. I'm just saying that happens, right? When something different, when there's like a pivot that we didn't expect to have to make, that's the grief I'm talking about. So I'm curious to know if you feel any of that. Oh, absolutely. Um, just given the relationship of my siblings with my mother and then like our relationships with each other, we've talked about like in the past, like what would happen if my, if, if my ever like got sick and needed someone to take care of her? Um, just because of my, like, what's the word I want to use because of, of my, I, maybe I'll leave some description just because of my personal relationship with my mother. I was very adamant years ago that I would not be the one caretaking her. Mm-hmm. I would not, I would not, I refuse. And my sister was supposed to be the one uh, doing this. She was like, I'll do it. And, you know, that was always been the agreement. My sister had been in conversation about this for years, if it ever happened. And of course, that's not the, that's not how it is now. Before caregiving for my mom, like physically, we did not have, we were not, we tolerated each other. Um, but there was just a lot of, I guess, do I want to say trauma? There was just a lot of, I'm not sure I have the word, like there was just something between us. Like we didn't, we just did not have a very nurturing close relationship. I left home at 18 and vowed to never come back. Um, she had a she had a relationship with her children, her grandchildren, my children. Even then it was still just like timid. I lived, I purposely moved 200 plus miles away. <laughs> so I wouldn't have to like be in space with my mom or any of my family. So to have to, one, being such an intimate relationship with my mother now without being able to repair that relationship and whether that relationship would have ever been repaired before she got sick. I don't know. We don't know. And because of my mom's condition, it would be virtually impossible for us to sit down and have a conversation or, you know, maybe with a mediator or a therapist and explore that relationship it's because of her cognitive issues because she had an aneurysm and she has vascular dementia. But she wouldn't remember, like we could have the conversation at 9 a.m., but by 1130, like it's all gone, like from her short term memory. So I guess I'm kind of grieving that in a way 
because we weren't able to repair that just because I think everybody wants a relationship with their parents, like a close one, and not being able to repair that with my mother, but also trying to foster like a nurturing, close, intimate relationship with my own children and not having an example of that. I guess there's definitely some grief there. Like there's grief and there's probably some anger and probably a lot of things that I don't, I'm not sure I have the words for right now. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you for speaking to that. I was in New Orleans this past weekend teaching and um, someone in the space, both for parents transition passed away. And, and this person spoke about the mess they left mm-hmm. with like, tears, you know, like my parents are gone and they left a mess. It was like both things that, and, and I was like, yeah, sometimes when people transition or something changes, they leave a mess. Right. And then we, we have to like deal with it. And, and maybe there's resentment and anger and that's all part of it too. Even as we're grieving the loss, if we are grieving the loss, like all of it is part of it. And that came to mind and heart when you were sharing about, Oh, it was supposed to be this way. My sister was supposed to do this and I'm doing it right. And that's not what you planned for and the tenderness around repair and not being able to repair or even have an opportunity to repair the relationship or speak about that given your mom's condition and, and just where things are now. It does, it does make me think about the question of is repair possible in some other way for you, like that part of it that needs attention for you. And I don't know, it's a question that came up as I was listening to you. Um, and what, you know, what could that, could that look like? And not that it has to happen now, but I'm holding that in my heart for you that maybe that's, there's room for that to happen in some way. Right. 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 And I like how you, you know, you said repair and it's like, what does that look like? I've been thinking about that. Like what does repair look like? But uh, for me, Um, I know I'll speak about accountability a lot Um, that for me, that takes the form of accountability. And I know I can't do this, like care for my mom in the way that I'm caring for her in the moment from a place of like resentment and anger, because I wouldn't, I'm tired. (laughs) Like I'm tired and like being angry and resentful. Not that that is not there, but like moving and caring for her from a place of that would just be more exhausting and more work. And thinking about like Ripsar's repair, like healing, like making sure that I'm in a form of like repair, making sure that I'm as nurturing or I guess I kind of, I'm being very mindful of how I'm parenting my own children. Mm-hmm. I guess that that like, so there's kind of, like, I know what I don't want to repeat. And I feel like there's a, there's a bit of repair there, like to not pass that hurt and that resentment and that anger. And not that in my parenting, I'm pretty sure that I'm doing harm because I'm in the process of healing and unlearning, which harm is happening to myself. And I'm sure that I'm also harming my children in the process who are going to probably need therapy in the future as well. Um, so I'm, I'm doing my best, like as far as like, re- like repair, doing my best to not repeat some of the conditioning or some of the actions that happened to me. And I'm, I don't know how well of a job I'm doing, like Every morning I wake up, like I should probably apologize and find a way to repair the harm I did yesterday. So I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure if there's ever going to be any repair between me and my mom, but I know what I can, I know I don't have to repeat what was done to me. 
And it's mm-hmm. a lot to not repeat, to be honest. So I can, and it makes me sad to know that I can't heal all of it. Like I just don't have enough, a long enough life. So I'm doing what I can with what I have in the moment, day to day. Yeah. It's so powerful the way you're talking about healing and the parenting of your own children as a way of healing, like you're healing and you're healing your line, bloodline in this way of how you parent. And you're, it reminds me of um, a long time ago in dismantling racism workshops. One of my colleagues with that Jeffries Logan, who's indigenous, she would have this big bag of rocks and they were trauma rocks. And she would have little bags of rocks inside this big bag. And she would say, this is seven generations back. And this is the trauma, you know, of my great, 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 great. And so on grandmother. And if she doesn't, didn't like work on her trauma, then it would get passed on and she'd add another bag of rocks Mm. to this bag. And then if, if this great, 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 and so on grandmother doesn't work on it, then she'd add another bag. And, and by the end, the like present seven generations back to present, there was this huge bag of rocks and she would like pass it around for people to hold, to have that embodied experience of like, oh, this is heavy. Um, And it was so powerful to witness that in people's experience of holding the rocks as a representation of the trauma of many generations of trauma. And so I think what you're, what you're naming is so powerful because in my experience, some people don't come to the awareness that they need to heal. They don't know what that looks like. They don't have the resources to actively work on it. They're resistant to it. I mean, 55 things, right. Related to (laughs) healing. And, and what you're saying is. I'm in a process of healing. And while I may not be able to repair my relationship with my mother in the way I envisioned, I can repair by thinking about how I'm parenting and I can consciously parent and I can repair and think about how I am taking care of myself and reparenting myself. Like, I think that's no small thing. I just want to say that that's, that's like huge. And some people don't ever come to that awareness, which doesn't give them the space to be conscious about what they're doing and, and their own healing process and what they're passing on. So I want to uplift that. I think it's a really powerful awareness and practice you're engaged in. And, and it, to me, it feels like a spiritual practice. It's like, this is probably the greatest spiritual practice, right. That is in your life. I don't know. I don't want to project that, but in listening, and that's a spiritual practice, you know, caregiving is a spiritual practice prioritizing your healing as a spiritual practice, being conscious around how you're parenting and that you're healing and still cause harm, spiritual practice. So I just, that's what I keep hearing and, and so much of what you're, you're sharing with me. Yes. Yes. I mean, and there, and I'm, I'm glad you brought up the bag of rocks now as I'm thinking about it. And I guess there is still a little bit of like hopelessness in that bag of rocks. Like it's a huge bag of rocks. I feel like this this bag of rocks weighs a million pounds. And, you know, you're talking about the smaller bags of rocks and the big bags of rocks. And right now I feel like all I can hold is like a small bag of rocks. And out of that small bags of rocks, I think I only have the capacity to take two rocks out of that small bag of rocks and then put it back. And it's like, am I doing enough? And I guess that's the question I'm with now. Like I want, I want to, I know in trying to alleviate and heal my own suffering. Like I said, I'm causing more suffering and harm to my children. And I guess it's my hope that they do a little less harm when they maybe have children of their own or they look back and, oh yeah, Ma was kind of a, can I say bitch? I don't know. Like she was (laughs) like, 
because there are days where like I'm like I'm doing this wrong like I'm still like doing things wrong and I don't know like I don't know what my hope is for them but I just hope that they look back when they're older because I know they don't see that now that I'm actively trying to heal and in the process of that healing yeah I'm causing harm but you know I apologize a lot to my kids I'll just say that like or I feel like maybe I'm not apologizing enough and it's just it's hard like it's difficult and I know there's so many there's probably a a a million like words that to describe and none of them are like good in a sense and I'm air quoting here um I don't know like it's just a lot like that bag of rocks is heavy and I feel like I'm the first one to note in my family to notice that bag of rocks and it's like there's no way like I know I'm not gonna see that bag of rocks diminish in my lifetime my children aren't gonna see that bag of rocks diminish they they're gonna add to it I'm probably adding to it their children are gonna probably add to it and with the state of the world right now it's like, is it ever going to get lighter? And I know that's probably like cynical, but there's a lot of days where that I feel like that bag of rocks is just sitting there. Mm-hmm. You know? I mean, I think it's real. Like, I don't know if it's cynical or not. And I think it is. I just hear you're doing a lot, right? Like, and you're doing something beyond trying. I don't know the word. And you're being honest about the process and you're apologizing when you can. And I witness you as somebody who is really being honest about where they are and, and really, really wanting to have space to heal and healing. Like that's my experience, which I'm, I don't live with you. So like, I'm not people <laughs> like this, every space I've been in, I have just, I've noticed your parenting and, and just your honesty about what it is. It's like, there's this realness about life, right. That you're, you bring and you're not trying to be like, well, it's really this way. You're saying it's this way. Like you're like, you're not trying to pretend, as I said earlier, you're not trying to sugarcoat it. You're like, this is happening in real time and life feels this way right now. And I just think that's so it's part of your medicine that you bring into spaces and I also know this question of, am I doing enough is one that comes up. And from an outside perspective, I think you're like doing a stupendous job with everything that you're holding. Um, And, you know, we may never like think that ourselves, like we often people are harder on themselves than other folks, but that's what I think I witnessed. And I imagine if you asked other people you're in space with, they would say the same that like there's only so much you can do. Right. And you're doing like as much as you can do is my experience. And so I just want to reflect that back to you, that that's what I see and witness in you. I just wish it didn't suck so much, Michelle. Like I know it just sucks. And I just say that it just sucks. It shouldn't be this hard. Why is it so damn hard? And I know not like it's it's not hard or it's not sucking because of like my personal like shortcomings. It's just the state of the world and humans suck. Humans suck. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, we're all affected by it, you know. And it's just the people like who should be doing more things aren't. And unfortunately, we all have to suffer for it. Not that I'm placing blame on anybody in particular, but I just mean like humanity as a whole. There's a certain mm-hmm. like subset of humanity who should be doing more and they're not. They're killing us all and we all just have to kind of just take it. And it just sucks. And like 
I don't know. Like if it were up to me, like if I have the power, I would just change it. And I'm sure most of us have that sentiment. Like if we could just snap our fingers and fix all of it, we would. But unfortunately, it just doesn't work like that. And in the meantime, there's just suffering and more suffering. And here we Mm -hmm. are. Yeah, that makes me think about, and I don't have Finding Refuge next to me, but in that I have different quotes. And there's a quote, I think it's chapter five about my grandmother. Uh, you have it. And it, there's I a quote it right by here. Yep. Clarissa Pincola Estes that is about like, you know, we can't fix everything. I'm not saying the right quote, but basically the sentiment <laughs> is we can't fix the world. Like we can fix our corner yep. of, of the world. And that's what's coming to mind. It's of course she says it more eloquently. I'll put it in the show notes, but it's like that it's from a larger poem too. And, and piece of writing from her that like, we can, we can, you know, be mired by despair if we want to fix everything, which is what so many of us, I know that we're in space with, we want to fix it all like, and want their suffering to like cease to be and, or us to deal with suffering in a different way. And what I appreciate about her quote is like, you can, you can fix what's like in your space. And what I heard is you can think about how you're parenting, right? Like in your space, you can do that as you're doing other stuff in the world. Right. I know it's hard. And um, I do think there's a space we can like heal. And that's what I witness in you. And I, with that, I'm curious to know, like for your life, what is your vision for and you can choose the time frame. I don't want to choose it, but I know you have dreams and I'm curious if you would share some of them with me. Wow. You know, I think you are the second person to ask me like, what dreams do you have? I think the first time um, was Octavia Rahim back in 2018. I had the privilege of going to Starshine and Clay on the Lohi Mountains in Georgia for three days, which is the most magical time of my life. Um, and her and Chelsea Jackson Roberts asked us like, what dreams do you have? And I don't think anybody has ever asked me, um, that, and you know, I think I'm still trying to figure out what I do know as what it is that I'm going to be selfish and like what it is that I want for myself. I want to wake up every morning and not immediately be in survival mode. I don't know what that looks like or what I need to have that be a thing. I want to not be in survival mode 24-7. I want to own a chunk of land with a small house for my children to run around and come back to. Um, I want my family to be well taken care of. I want to just not, I don't know. I've had visions of like what I want for my life. Um, I know I want to buy a house one day and like have bees and a huge garden that belongs to me. I want something that's mine that no one else can take away. Like I want something that's mine that people are going to have to step over my dead body to take away from me. But what that looks like as a whole, I don't know. I know I don't, I want my children to grow up like happy and liberated. And like, I want them to set fire to the world. And I want them to pass that along to whoever they're in relationship with, whether it be like their own children or partners or and things like that. Um, I think I'm still working on my dreams, but I know I just want to wake up and not have to be in survival mode. Like what that, like, what that looks like and what needs to happen for that to be the thing. I'm not sure yet, like it'll happen when it happens, but and that's a pretty broad thing, but I don't know. There's, there's a list of things, but for the most part, that's what's like coming up for me at this moment. 
Mm-hmm. I don't think that's vague. And I also know you've been in a space of survival for a long time. And so it makes sense to me that that would be part of your, like, I, I want to move out of this mode into something else, but I don't know what it looks like yet because I haven't been there in so long, if ever, like I, <laughs> it makes sense to me that that would be the part of the response. Like, I want to move out of this space where I'm responding, right. Or in crisis or responding to someone else's crisis, right. Which is more representative of what's, what I understand has been going on. And, and that you also have this dream for something that's yours because of so much of what you're responding to actually isn't your stuff, but you're having to care for folks and, and take care of things and clean up messes in this way. And so really hearing that vision for yourself of wanting something that's your own. And, and you were specific about that, like land and a garden and bees, and you want, you know, a house for your children to, to run around in. And it sounds like to me, you want them to thrive and heal and pass that on. Right. And set fire to the world. And what, you know, that's what you said. So, and I think it's a question that we can come back to over and over because perspective will shift based on what's happening, right. And what feels possible or what we're open to, or I mean, so many things. So I hope that many more people ask you about your dreams and that what you dream for yourself, what you vision, I hope it, it manifests and I'm certainly calling it in and want it to happen for you. So thank you for sharing some about your dreams as you understand them right now. Thank you for asking. Maybe I don't get asked that question enough. I don't have time to think about it. Maybe I should take more time to dream and dream, which is something I hope I have an intention for myself. Just haven't been able to make time for that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. If there's so much going on, it can be really hard to dream. So I hope that you have space and time to do that and ask yourself that question. What do I want? What do I dream about? What do I dream for? Um, when I think about my life, dream, dream up. But I really appreciate you, you, um, for being you and having this conversation and sharing so much about your life and where you are and yourself and how you're feeling and what's moving through at this time. And again, I'll be holding that dream for you. So know that that's, that's here and in my heart, and it will also be on my altar, which is, which is behind me. So, yeah. Thank you, Tan. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me, Michelle. It's awesome. Like I told myself when you first started this podcast, I've been listening, like, oh, I'm going to be on the, I'm going to, I'm going to talk to Michelle and find a refuge one of these days. And I wasn't thinking it'd be this year. I was thinking maybe later next year or the year after. And here we are. Yes. You crossed my mind. This is how I work, but you probably know this. And I was like, oh, I need to ask Tan. Like that's how, how things flow for me. So I'm so glad you said, you said yes. And of course we can, we can have a conversation in the future again on the podcast. Thank you so much. Thank you, Michelle. I hope you enjoyed the episode. So as you all may know, I have a new book out. Finding Refuge, Heart Work for Healing Collective Grief, published by Shambhala Publications. It was published on July 13th, 2021, and can be found anywhere where books are sold. Along with the book, 
you can join me for some offerings focused on finding refuge and focused on collective grief, ritual, and processing trauma, allowing it to move through so that we can get free. We'll explore the connection between grief and liberation. You can support the podcast Finding Refuge by telling your friends about it and rating it on iTunes. You can support my work in the world by becoming a patron on Patreon. You can find me there as Michelle C. Johnson, Skill in Action. I offer monthly Dharma talks, rituals, meditations, or movement practices. I hope you join me there. Take care. Be well, friends. Thank you.